0: Welcome to Third Opinion MD Podcast. I'm your host, Barbara De La Torre. I'm a physician and artist bringing a blended perspective to you about healthcare and exploring simpler ways to restore and maintain your health. This episode starts with looking forward and backward. Tell me what you know about grandmommy.
1: Uh, I know that she was a doctor like Auntie Barbara, which is you who I'm talking to right now. Uh huh. Love you. And I know that we remember her but by looking, by seeing ladybugs. That's why I made an origami ladybug at dinner.
2: That was such a nice thing
0: to do. That way she can be with us, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's my nephew. My sister kindly agreed to interview him for me, since he lived so far away. The interview took place on my mother's birthday, where they were about to sit down to celebrate her life at dinner with her favorite foods. Although my nephew never had a chance to meet my mother, he gets to be a part of the celebration year after year. What are we doing for Grandmommy today?
1: We are going to celebrate her birthday, even though she is not with us anymore, Sadie. I Never got to see her. That's 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 all right. right. That's why we look at
2: pictures, right? So you can see if you see any little bits of Mommy or you inside my Mommy's face. So you made her a ladybug, right? So that she could be at dinner with us. Why do you think Grandmommy loved ladybugs so much?
1: Probably because they bring good the
2: luck. Yeah. Do you remember in what culture they bring good luck? Germany. Yeah. In Germany they bring good luck. Do you ever talk to Grandmommy?
1: Yeah, sometimes I see ladybugs and they say, Hi grandmommy, I hope you're okay.
0: I remember on the day my mom died, I actually did start to see ladybugs. And I remember one landed on my motor scooter right before I was going to some appointment. I saw it and I i knew, I knew she was going to die that day. And so for my family, ladybugs are good luck. And they're also a comfort. Did she say anything back to you?
1: Yeah. So I can't hear ladybugs, but for me, it's just like a feeling of, like, I kind of hear vibrations through the ground that that feeling of the vibrations, like, goes to sounds in my head. Like,
2: if, like you feel like she's there. <laughs>
1: like, I do too. Like she's talking to me. Yeah.
2: You know it's funny. I feel her around all the time. Me too. When I do things that I'm proud of. Sometimes I feel her around when I'm sad. Sometimes when I see you do things that I'm really proud of, I feel Grandmommy's around, cheering for you. Yeah. For
1: also sometimes when I'm sad, I actually kind of feel her like hugging me.
0: Now, I swear to you, I've never taught him the concepts of energy or chi, that life force energy that's so essential to health, according to Chinese medicine. But here's the wise seven-year-old talking about it freely with an unfiltered understanding of his energy and the connection he has to his environment of before and after. When you
2: were born, Grandmommy was right there to say hello to you. She picked your birthday that year because it was close to Mother's Day.
1: Would Jackie pick my birthday? I don't know.
2: I kind of think she had a role in it. But you came 10 days early, just before Mother's Day happened, right? I don't know if I ever told you this part of the story. So when you go to the hospital, when you're about to have a baby, they just give you a room. Whatever room they have open, they give you a room, and you stay in there until you have your baby. And I think Grandmommy helped pick the room where you were born. Do you know how I know? I. Uh-huh. So when I went into that room, hanging above the bed was a special painting. It was a painting... Of a mother holding her child, and do you know where that painting is? No. you have a copy of it in your bedroom, you know right next to oh, your bed
1: yeah.
2: i I know that well, so that painting was from Grandmammy's house, the one that's in your room, but a copy of it was in the room where you were born of all the paintings they could have hung in a hospital room. Can you believe that they hung that one? Mom. I know. Mom. <laughs> Did your brain just explode?
1: Yeah. No, no, that, that felt like a sonic wave of energy just black, <laughs> through my soul. I know,
2: because that was a crazy story. Yeah. that def- I definitely think Grandmommy was in the room.
1: How else would that
2: have happened?
1: I-, I wish Auntie Barbara was not that old so she could have kids.
2: Oh, well, you know, Auntie Barbara wants to have a nephew. And guess what? She got one. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, and she got the best one.
1: <laughs> yeah, she got the best nephew sure of all did. time. She sure did. Yes, yeah, she sure did. Yeah. She she got the nephew that always wants to be with her.
0: Okay, for the record, old is relative. <laughs> so, I like to think fifty is not old, but for a seven year old, that's I guess that's old. If you haven't listened to any episodes up to this point, I'm going to be talking about my mom. My mother was a physician. She was an integrated physician. She studied acupuncture, Chinese medicine, and she was also a family physician. She died in 2008. And I'll be talking about her because I'm right now in the point in my life where I really want to understand the before and after of me. This is what I do with clients too. I try to look at Not just what the physical diagnoses are or the mental health diagnoses are. What we want to look at is, who are you? So I'm going to start by sharing with you, who am I? Why am I the healer I am today? And I was listening to a seminar that my mother gave in 1999 to her patients. And I saved those recordings from the class, but I really couldn't listen to her voice for many years, not until now. And it's definitely emotional. It's that kind of emotion I felt when my mother was proud of something I did or when she called to support me through the medical school training. She was my number one fan. She was, at that time, the only person that really understood me as a doctor. Doctors go through similar patterns of trauma, and so they reserve those words about their vulnerability really to only fellow physicians. And it's a rite of passage to become a physician, and at one point it was a source of pride and honor, but in our healthcare system now, that's not so much the case. And there are a lot of healthcare providers, doctors, nurses, physician assistants, anyone who's providing care to patients. They are going through a tough time. I want to take you with me on a scavenger hunt. I'm going to start uncovering these clues to my mother's existence and her legacy before she died. And this is more than just detective work, it's a gift left in her writing, in her recordings, and from my memories. It's a treasure, not just for me to understand my true essence and calling, but an opportunity for you to learn from two generations of women propelled to make changes in the understanding and delivery of health. Now, there was one time when she gave a lecture to her patients about the history of their doctor, and here's the reasoning that she had behind all of that.
3: Welcome to my story. The reason I'm doing this is because we're beginning to get into the part of history of medicine. And part of the history of medicine is the history of the doctor, because you understand uh, the time that you're living in and how things are happening in your life better if you look at history. And I thought that maybe you'll understand your doctors also better if you know a little bit of history of your
0: doctors. As a doctor, I've been trained to defer any questions about me as a person whenever patients see me in a room. And that's something that's really drilled into healthcare providers, right? Because it shouldn't be about us. It always should be about the patient. The problem is we can go to this extreme where it looks like we're living a perfect life and that it's just the patient that's the problem. But really, what healing is, is it's an exchange. And that's the whole point. Would you ever want to listen to someone who's perfect? None of us are perfect. And doctors today need to stop living as if they need to be at that level of perfection. That's why I'm inviting you into my life, just a little window of it, to go on a scavenger hunt to discover why I am the healer I am today and what I hope to transmit to you now and tomorrow. Not to say that I need to give personal information out to patients because boundaries are super important, but now that I'm in the role of an educator, now I can start to share a little bit about my life because I think it's going to help understand how to look into your own lives to tap into that inner doctor. So my mother, Christina, gave her lecture to her patients, and she started to talk about her life in three parts, three stages of immigration. You see, my family, every generation, for multiple generations, was having to pack up and leave to go to a different country to remake a new life. Every generation, for multiple generations, has had to leave their homeland, whether it was my maternal grandmother, who as a toddler had to leave Tbilisi, Georgia, for Germany, or when my mother had to leave Germany as a toddler to make the trip to Paris and then to Argentina, or whether I had to leave Argentina, where I was born, and go to the United States. We will all
3: learn and grow from history rather than lament history. I could be lamenting that the Turks almost decimated the Armenian population and that maybe my mother is a rare survivor. Just because she was a little bit further north in Russia, right? Had she been a little bit further south, I wouldn't even exist.
0: Out of a population of 2 million Armenians, 1.5 million were tortured, starved, burned, hung, shot, strangled, and decapitated by the Turkish government beginning in 1915 and ending in 1921. It was said that by the end of World War II, Adolf Hitler remarked, after all, who remembers today the extermination of the Armenians?
3: I could lament that, or I could learn from that and say, okay, Hitler learned from that too. Then he did his thing, Argentina and the genocide in Argentina. Things repeat themselves over and over and over.
0: When it happens repeatedly, it adds up. This is who I am. I am my ancestors. My mother spoke about her father during World War II in Germany.
3: Now, my father's motto was, I do not join groups. I dislike all that circus and monkey business. I'd rather stay on my own. I want to be free like a bird. And with that in mind, he never joined. He was a test pilot, but he was a civilian. He never joined. In fact, my mother trembled for years because the party would send letters to join, and my father wouldn't even open the envelopes. Well, that was a no-no in Germany during the war. If you got a, an envelope from the party, you opened it. Well, he never did. And she would go, please, at least open it to see what it is. She would he would say, "That circus. He would call Hitler that puppet. By
0: 1948, most Germans were living in stark poverty, as my mother describes here.
3: The country was very poor. It was uh, destroyed. We didn't have any money, lost everything. They would exchange my shoes for butter. They would plant tomatoes in the balcony so that I would have some vitamins. There was no possibility for my father to get a job because German pilots were prohibited from flying. many of them, uh, Germans left him to America and many went to Argentina. And a friend of his who was also a pilot had gone to Argentina, had succeeded, and wrote him and said, I can get you a job. How did he get out of Germany? You know, it wasn't a cool thing to get out of Germany, being a German, during the occupation. Well, um, he was a very simple man, my father, and uh, he was always dressed very well, even though, you know, he wasn't a rich man, but he had a very good taste, and he was very proper. He had very good manners. He put on a nice trench coat, and he had a nice leather attaché, and he shined his shoes, and he started walking. And he walked through every border that you can imagine, and he got to Italy. Of course, he probably took a little bit of a truck here and a car there, whatever. And then I learned something else. He said, where's a man going that's nice to dress that just, just has a briefcase? Because he was a man that needed very little, he could do that. He lived with very little. He had very nice clothes, but few. He had very nice shoes, but few. He didn't accumulate anything. And so he was able to leave peacefully, without offending anybody. But he always told me, all you have to do is dress nicely and shine your shoes. He had no fear. He, he relied on his own strength, on his own capacity to solve problems. He had no despair. Everybody was in despair after the war. Nobody had enough to eat. There were no jobs. Pilots couldn't fly until about 1954 in Germany. If he would have stayed in Germany, he would not have done very well. Emotionally, physically, or but and, and uh, he emotionally he was always pretty together anyway, so he just left.
0: When I listen to her make that statement, I hear the strength in her voice, I hear the tenacity. Is she's a tough lady, right? You don't mess with her, and she was so protective of her patients. What I also hear is that wall of strength and an inner vulnerability that I've grown to understand more now than I did when I first heard that talk. My mother was born in Germany, but was of Armenian descent. And my grandmother was born around the time of the genocide, but was safe from the genocide, thanks to her parents moving the family over to Germany. So when my mother was three years old in 1948, her family took her to Argentina for a better life.
3: Then my mom and I, in 1948, he left and my mom and I went to Paris to live with our grandparents. By then, my grandfather had gone from city to city in Germany and eventually ended up in France. So we lived with them for a year in France, in Paris. And then after that, we went to Argentina. We left from Le Havre and ended up in Buenos Aires. Long trip, not an easy trip. Four weeks, four weeks at sea. That's our Mayflower.
0: And then I was born in Argentina during the time when the totalitarian Peronist government was in power. And so my family moved us over to the United States when I was a toddler. Over and over and over again, we move and we make a new life. And there's resilience in that, and I'm proud of that, and it gives me strength. But I also acknowledge the vulnerability and the tragedy that comes with it. There isn't a black or white here. It's about understanding everything in between and the complexity of who we are. Being strong is important. Being a strong doctor is important. Being a woman physician requires strength. But if we spend all our time on our strength and forging our way through, there's a cost. And I believe that cost my mother her health. And in the end the potential to have longevity. Armenians are known to live a very long time, but my mom died at 62 from a recurrent brain cancer. You can hear that strength in her voice, but I know behind that strength is an untapped multigenerational trauma that my family handed down not only through the words but through the genes, through the DNA. Something known as epigenetics can often explain why we inherit not just the physical problems or maybe a tendency to have a mental health issue. And it goes way back. It goes back multiple generations. And it actually informs and places an imprint on how we deal with things in our current lives. It either works for us or it doesn't. Let's hear a little bit more. I was not raised in one particular
3: mode that made me think in a certain way and then I have to kind of try to adapt. Trying to adapt isn't good enough. You've got to just accept, period. It's just like a very, it has to be like that, or otherwise it's still eh, kind of a little bit on a reluctant side. But I cannot say that I do it because I'm good. I can only tell you what history tells me. I was lucky that I had the opportunity of experiencing different languages, different places, different religions, and it made me an accepting person. It wasn't an illumination or a transformation. It was simply a historical process.
0: There's so much more to the story of my family, but this is just to give you a little preview, a little window into what makes a physician who they are. They're not just the diploma. They're not just the knowledge base. They are people too. My mom, was very informed by the legacy of her family, as I am, too. So it's no surprise that she became fiercely independent. It's no surprise that she had a depth to see the system around her was not working. And it's absolutely no surprise that she could see the cruelty that exists in our healthcare system. And I see it, too. But there is a lot of gray, and there isn't really such a thing as cancel culture there really isn't such a thing as saying out with the old, in with the new. It really is about balance. It's about finding what works best for us, finding a way to heal, finding a way to look at care in a very individualized way, in a humanistic way, in a compassionate way.
3: I think we have a lot of work to do, and that's why, in some ways, when I look at all these things in, in my own history, I feel that, in a smaller scale, in this country, in medicine, people are not treated well. And, okay, we don't torture them, and we don't, but we torture them sometimes, yes, with it's procedures and stuff. Yeah. yeah, we torture them with giving them side effects with medications. We torture them by not paying attention to them. We torture them by leaving them in the dark, by ignoring them. That is all, that's all human meanness, I think. And I think that that's when we need to turn
0: around. This is the reason why I'm bringing two very dear family members into this podcast. My nephew is the after. He is the forward. He is tomorrow. And this little guy, he represents the wish I have to really create a better healthcare for tomorrow for the next generation's. And we have to look at the past, and this is why I bring my mother into the podcast, because by looking backward, we know how to deal with the now, and then we can create a better tomorrow. There is so much more that we are capable of for making ourselves healthy. We can't just stick with the status quo anymore. This is why I'll be bringing in these guests to interview about really interesting topics outside of the healthcare box that we've been dealt with. What I'll be doing is a weaving of stories of my mother and bringing back my nephew, because I just love him dearly and I I just love the things kids have to say. The fact that he can speak for tomorrow, I love that. The next season will be about emotional balance, because even though we are moving out of the pandemic... We're moving out of physical illness. We're still now dealing with the aftermath of the psychological trauma that we've been through. We're dealing with an emotional imbalance on so many levels. We're seeing it in younger generations. We have to deal with this a different way. And I would like to introduce guests and concepts of Chinese medicine on how we can integrate that with our Western approaches. Because health can be simpler. Balancing your emotions... It can be a lot simpler than we make it out to be. And we don't have to just rely on medications for it. We have the tools. Just ask my nephew. He knows the answer.
1: Well, it all starts from my heart because to me, my emotions come from my heart mm-hmm. and how I truly feel.
0: Okay, so I want to also tell you the why I'm made this big change in my career too. I mean, why would I leave clinical medicine? There's so many jobs for me out there to pick up because we have a shortage of physicians. Here's the reason. I'm doing this out of love and passion and a mission to help you. And for those of you who want to take that deeper dive with me, I do offer services. And you can go to thirdopinionmd.org. You can sign up for a free consultation. Let me tell you a little bit about what I do with clients to give you an idea. So I show you, one, how to navigate the modern healthcare system, removing that smoke screen, making all these complex issues understandable. The influences, I tell you about what I call the party crashers of healthcare, big pharma, insurance companies, hospital organizations. All of these people, these organizations are part of a bigger system. And to learn more about systems and why they fail us, why they're hard to change, go to episodes two and three, where I interview Dr. Smith-Acuna. It's very helpful to understand that, to take a step back. So that's the first thing I do. The second thing I do is that I provide more knowledge and understanding of the prescriptions and the supplements and the herbs you may be taking. Even over-the-counter medications, Nothing is benign that goes in your body. So everything that you take has the potential to interact with something else, the potential to deplete nutrients, to harm you. And so you have to really know what you're getting because we are always at risk for polypharmacy in the healthcare system we have right now because we have so many different players telling us what to do. And if you don't have an understanding of the integrated effect, how do all these things affect you? We go over adverse effects, meaning like what are the side effects that you could potentially have that are harmful, potential nutrient depletions that can occur, drug-drug interactions. You need to know this. Because if you're going to be on medications, the more you tack on, the more you're at risk. Third, we want to set up how you create that big picture of what your health story is and what to do with it. We look at your family dynamics, your medical history, trauma history, relationships, your work history, nutritional history. You get the idea. I'm not just asking you about what diseases you had and what symptoms you have. I want to know who you are just like I'm sharing with you in this episode a little bit of who I am and where I come from. And I'll be doing that along the way. And fourth, an understanding of health from a Chinese medicine perspective, it's very different from the Western understanding of who you are and your understanding of health and disease. They're not exclusive. The cool thing is, is that we can take an Eastern understanding of you, a Western understanding of you, put them together and get the best understanding of who you are so that you can move forward with what you want out of life, to live well, to live healthy. It's not about living the longest, it's about living the best way possible. That's what I do. I see right now clients one-on-one, and for more information, you can go to my website at thirdopinionmd.org, or you can email me with questions at info at thirdopinionmd.org. In the future, I will be conducting workshops. For now, I'm putting a lot of my heart into the podcast and seeing people one-on-one. And as I start to expand services, I will let you know. And until then, keep listening into this podcast. Thank you so much for doing that. Third Opinion MD Podcast is produced by me, Barbara Della Torre, and is generously funded in part by a grant from the Regional Arts and Culture Council. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle. I'd love to hear from you. Please send me your comments, questions, or suggestions for future topics and guests you'd like to have on the show. You can find the contact form under the podcast tab at the website thirdopinionmd.org. Any comments made by the host or guest on Third Opinion MD reflect opinions about healthcare and self-care. Please consult with your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Be sure to follow or subscribe to this podcast and submit a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.